Manitobaville, the podcast, is brought to you by Rodeo Road Studios. Hang on to your hat. Hi, I'm Linny. You're listening to Antiquarian Objects, the legend of Manitoba on Manitobaville, the podcast. That was a quieter version. <laughs> that sounded pretty accurate, though. I know. I don't have as much steam. <laughs> How hot did that engine get, did he say? Okay, it got up to 150, but I don't know what, like, 150 is a measurement of. Oh, that was the steam pressure. Oh. Yeah, it would get up to, like, 150. Full head of steam. Yeah. But well, heat, it must have been pretty wise. hot because, like, they were very cautious about could you touching touch, it. Could you touch the firebox? No. <laughs> no, I don't think hot. so. Yeah. Pretty hot. Pretty at hot. first, you could, even just at first, when it first started heating up, you could touch the tractor and and it, it was getting warm. So I can't imagine how hot it was by the end. Yeah. Oh, and you remember we could hear the bubbles? Yeah, as it started heating up. Yeah, we could hear it boiling inside. That it's was crazy. really interesting. The boiling. Then they would do this test steam coming out. Nothing yeah. would come out of first. You could put your finger there. Yeah, yeah. And then you'd let your finger go to make a little pop. Puh, and the puh. longer you held it, the more yeah. pressure would come out afterwards. Then the next time we saw him do it, it was like you'd open it and it was just like, psh, all the steam just yeah. bolting out. Watch the episode, folks. It's amazing, the visual. Yeah. The steam coming out. It's crazy crazy stuff hot you think <laughs> you think and whoever thought up heating up water and creating steam pressure and then running machines from that like then the power they could get out of it yeah that will create enough energy 45 to... horsepower off of the flywheel yeah to fuel a tractor and they had those steam engines in buildings yeah and they would they would split wood or they would you know run different machines doing manufacturing mm -hmm. so just the horsepower and the constant the constant motion of it but you'd have to keep while you're you'd have to keep wood on your tractor while you're in the field doing your thing because it needs to continually be that's what kids are for fueled <laughs> run, run wood back right? just stick them in the wood box because what they say the the wood what they got the fireman yeah uh, would Start at 4.30 in the morning to get it heated up for yes. 6 to get a full head of steam. Then the crew, if you're threshing or something, they would show up around 6. Mm -hmm. And then you would just go all day Yeah. in that field and they'd constantly be bringing in sheaves and throwing them through the threshing machine. Yeah. And then whatever time you finish the night, then the fireman and the engineer both would stay there until it cooled right down. Yeah. Um, Bill said that the steam engineer was the first one to show up and the last one to leave no the fireman oh the fireman sorry but they were both the last ones to leave but the yeah. fireman was the first one to show up yeah because he had to just stoke the fire and those just mainly getting the make sure the tank was full of water and then they'd probably fill it up the night before when it cooled down what a long day yeah that'd be like those were the days when we used to work yeah now everybody just has like eight hour days with union breaks and... <laughs> Can you imagine modern people going out and doing that kind of work? It'll die on the first day. <laughs> yeah. 
How much Corona would you need to bring them back to life? <laughs> a lot of Corona. <laughs> a whole bucket. There'd be a lot of happy motorins. Yeah. Oh, quite in crew. Oh, I look at you'd be like card cardboard cutouts walking in. <laughs> I'm dehydrated. I was working all day in the sheaves. You know what sheaves are? Uh, it's with the bundle. Yeah. No, uh, and, and you put it through, and it takes off the. Yeah. Well, when you when you cut, because it's all cut usually, in the old days you'd scythe it, okay. the wheat, and then you'd have to take it in little hand bundles and tie it. Yeah. And that's I think that's a sheave, 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 and then you would stack sheaves together, because if it rained, then the rain would just run off it. But the wheat would have to dry. Right. Before you could separate it. So you would build stooks. Okay. So a stook might have 10 or 12 sheaves in it. And then, so you'd have these sheaves all over the field. But when you set up your threshing machine, you'd only set it up in one place. Right. Because you'd have your steam engine running it. I guess you could move it if you had a huge, huge enough field. You might take the, you know, do as many as you could and then move it over and do it from there. But the idea was that then the men would be bringing the sheaves in. So the song, Bringing in the Sheaves, right? Oh, yeah. So now you're bringing them all over to where the threshing's happening. And then there'd probably, even in those days, you still have horse and carts with wagons to take, to offload all the grain that's been separated out. Yeah. So you can keep that hoppers empty. And I don't, even know if, I don't even know if threshing machines had hoppers in them, like combines do. It might have just been real time. It would come out into, you'd have to have a cart there to catch all your wheat. Okay. So, yeah. And before they had steam engines, they'd use horses and they'd turn in a, they'd be in a circle. Okay. To And then the, the gears would run a pulley that would run your, oh, your threshing machine. Yeah, yeah. And the horses have to constantly be walking around. So you'd have to feed them on the go. And, yeah. And have, maybe stop to water them. But, um, yeah, so the same process. You'd be bringing in the sheaves to to the uh, thresher. So it's a similar setup, but yeah. without the horses, obviously, but with and the steam. You, and you said, well, wood. So they yeah. might start with wood. But he said they'd also use some of the straw that came out of the thresher. Of course, oh. a lot of the farmers would use the straw to take back to, to use through the winter for animals. Right. But some of the straw could be used. They would bundle it up real super tight yeah. and then use it in the steam engine. Oh like yeah, there the you go. Box. You're collecting it and you're using it as you go. Yeah. That makes sense. That's pretty wild. So you're almost like self-sufficient in a way, just bringing the water. Mm-hmm. But in those days, I, I have a picture. My, my mom has, I'm not sure which my family members has it now, but it was a picture of her father helping because he was a grocery store. Oh, no way. Uh, operator in Spy Hill. and But he would go out like with every other man to help do the the harvesting. Yeah. And so the picture is one of those really long, wide pictures of, yeah. of I don't know how many men, oh. like and probably four rows deep and just, you know, like probably maybe 20, 30 wide. Wow. But that was all like, so they'd all go to do, go as fast as they could to get the fields done. Because wow. while the machines were around, they had to do as many, you know, the weather too. Yeah. So they'd, they'd have cut all the fields. They'd have made all the sheaves. They would have stooped everything. And then when it was dry enough, then the engine would come around with the threshing machine and then you just get her done. And that was wow. the, and the women and kids would bring out the food. So yeah. they ultra buffet. Yeah, ultra was, buffet. <laughs> <laughs> it was like just big time, eh? It's a craft table. The whole community. And then the whole community would just basically go around all the fields every day. 
Yeah, because there's such a short crops. amount of time and so much work, you got to take advantage of the sunlight. Yeah. Well, and think at the end of the day, the fireman and the engineer might have to move out the engine and haul the thresher to another field. Wow. So the morning you come, it'll be all set up, ready to go in the place where you're going to do the work. Oh my gosh, they must have been exhausted. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's why they invented other machines. <laughs> yeah. That's why it didn't just stop there. Okay. How, hey, this is good. We'll just use these forever. Yeah. How big do you think the fields would have been well, on average? By then, in the 20s or 30s. Yeah, pretty big. Because they started clearing fields like in the 18, late 1800s, up around there. So at the beginning, you might have had you know, 10, 20 acres on an 80 acre plot, but every year you'd have more because you'd be clearing and clearing. So by the 20s and stuff, there's probably big fields, mm. full quarter sections. And yeah, still all done pretty much by hand. Wow. I wouldn't doubt a lot of the fields were worked by horses as far as plowing and then seeding and even cutting mm. and doing all the stuking. They even had machines later that were pulled by horses that you can make your sheaves. So it would cut and then it would pull them up in bundles and tie and then drop the sheaves off but you still have to go and stook them. Mm. So you sell people behind. Oh yeah, just manual labor. And before horses, they would have used ox, right? Yeah, yeah. They found the horses could last longer than the oxen. Really? I think the, they, do you think the ox are stronger? Well, I think they found that out in Europe before, like in England. Okay. They were finding out because an oxen... Because you have to take the machine to the field and back. Mm. And the oxen would get tired. Yeah. And then they found the horses were more durable and they could go longer. Interesting. Yeah. So that's why instead of we instead of your vehicle having ox power, yeah. it has <laughs> yeah, horse power. Yeah. You remember that ox cart we saw at the Minnedosa Museum? Yeah. Yeah. And they said that they'd have to lubricate the wheels yeah. as they go. Yeah. And they would use frogs. Yeah. Well, they didn't have motor oil. Yeah. <laughs> no petroleum, uh, you know, products or anything. You got to use what's available. Frogs. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get there. You got to get there somehow. Hey, where can people see antiquarian objects, The Legend of Manitoba? Well, you can see it on Bell MTS TV. It's their on-demand channel, 5TV1. You just got to do a little digging in the menu and you'll come up with it. Or if you have the app, if you're a Bell subscriber, very simple to get to the show. Just use the search and bingo, you're there and you're everywhere. You're everywhere we were. <laughs> ah, okay, awesome. Do you think the lubrication, like the lubricants they would use would have been rated by frog? Like, yeah, this is a three frog. <laughs> this is a three frog. This is a three, yeah, Instead you want Instead of a star? Yeah, you want to buy this one, it's a three frog. It'll get you further. <laughs> three frog, what lubricant? This is a one frog. It's cheap, but it's not going to last long. <laughs> when I want to get my ox cart from point A to point B and not break down, I use three frog oil. <laughs> Tree frog lubricant. Awesome, poor frogs. <laughs> <laughs> Those lots of frogs. I am. When I was younger, I used my prepare and I, we would catch frogs and then we would use them for fishing. 
I don't know. Did you ever do did that? You, what did you do? Talk to the frog and say, hey, frog, can you go down there and find a fish <laughs> and get him close to my hook? Well, it was, no, it wasn't quite, it wasn't quite that, no? that much of a teamwork. The frog was the bait. Oh. Yeah. But it seemed to work. Yeah. Yeah. So even then, frogs were lubricating the catching of fish for you. There you go. Multi-purpose. Wow. And they had a few different... No, they had two. They had two steam tractors in Morden, but just one was running. Yeah. One yeah. was operational. The other one they wanted to get want to get going. Yeah. So they need to fundraise, folks. So go by there and <laughs> give them 10 bucks. <laughs> Absolutely. Because they say it's gonna, it just takes money. They have the know-how. Yeah. They have the ability. Bill Reimer, he's full-on forever engineer. Knows everything there is to know. Annika's going to be coming along. They probably know. Oh, there's a fellow we didn't meet. Uh, Miami Bob. Miami and Bob. Miami Bob. Miami Bob has a steam engine just like the one we re saw at the museum. Really? Yeah. And... um I learned that because the Pembina Thresherman Museum one has to go and get tested for for full-on certification because oh. it's a public uh, uh, venue. Yeah. They have to make sure it's safe because steam-powered units can't explode. Really? Because there's such high pressure in that tank mm -hmm. that it could rupture. And if it ruptures, <gasps> they can have huge explosions. Oh, my God. Uh, steam trains used to explode all the time or different different steam engines and different things so um they have to tear it not quite down but they have to make it so it can be measured now with a sonogram i think it's a sonogram or um yeah it's a device to, to test how thick the tank is mm. to the micrometers so once that's done then they'll be safe to use but he thought maybe they would have to do that before we could fire it up Yes. So he said, Miami Bob has one just like it. So I called Miami Bob and he said he'd be happy to. And he didn't have to have it certified the same way because it's on private land. But unfortunately, he had hit it was half taken apart. Oh. So he wouldn't be able to assemble it in time for our show. Yeah, that would take a long time. And then Bill called me back one day and said, you know what? We got the permission. We can fire it up a couple times before we take it apart. Mm -hmm. And he says, so come on down and do the show. Yeah, I we're remember that. We are so lucky. Such a good day that was because I want to get the steam whistle in. Yeah. Yeah, we got two different whistles. We got the, the tractor whistle and a train whistle. Yeah. Was really, that was really neat. That, was it louder, do you think? Would you say it was a lot louder? The first whistle was, well... I think the train whistle probably reached more people in the distance, mm -hmm. but the first whistle, like, really it had, like, a piercing sound, so yeah. it felt louder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was also, he was going to, he was going to make a blow a couple times to get the steam through. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then he decided <laughs> not to because he said sometimes when, when the whistle's dry and the steam first hits it, it makes kind of a screech, a little yeah. screeching sound. And yeah, they were like, get the first one on camera, get her reaction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny. It was intense, that, yeah, because when you pulled the whistle, it was, was like, Whoa. It's an involuntary response to it. <laughs> <laughs>
but yeah, you all the guys out bringing in the sheaves and maybe uh, people bringing wood or people when the lunch is going to come, they'd blow that whistle and everybody would know. Yeah. They probably had uh, how many times it was blown would be signals for different things. Oh, yes. Annika was saying something about that. Yeah. She said there was like a Morse code of steam whistle. Yeah. Probably even if somebody was injured, there's probably one for that. So yeah. To go get help. Um, but yeah, it would be the basic thing of starting the day, finishing the day, lunch breaks or, you know, breaks through the day for water. Yeah. Um, probably food, but if there's food involved, they probably blow it different. Um, yeah, just signals, whatever you need to signal somebody who is way, way over there and you couldn't, maybe is windy a lot. So you couldn't really yell one way. You could yell somebody over downwind, but they, you wouldn't be able to hear them back. Yeah. So, oh, that's convenient. Yeah. And and Annika's going to take a course in Austin. And yeah, like all the, all this is all the stuff that she's learning, which is really fascinating. Yeah. That it's still something that we can learn and get certified for. And it's good too. It's it's the safety aspect, I think. Yeah, yeah. So, especially in places like Austin or the Thresherman's Museum in Pemina where you have public coming in and they're going to be standing fairly close watching what's going on. And mm -hmm. so you want to have qualified people to make sure, you know, nobody gets too close and touches something too hot or a moving part or, mm -hmm. you know, they want to make sure the engine's running right. So nothing malfunctions to harm anyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah. Cause they do, they have parades there apparently in the summer. Yeah. At the museum. Oh, look, there's the train. There comes the train. Oh. The new whistles now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> it's just one. There you go. Here comes old Van Horn. <laughs> that horn. Wow, the lonely old prairie. It is funny once you get out of the city, how things can get real quiet real fast. Yeah. Yeah, because there's so many towns around Manitoba. And the largest city is Winnipeg. And in comparison, everything else seems pretty small town, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like the province of small towns. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they had to reduce the uh, what qualifies as a city just to get more cities. <laughs> yeah. Just to make the bigger towns feel a little chuffed up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the city of... It's funny too how like Rapid City was called Rapid City in the late 1800s because they wanted it to sound big because they were selling the land around it in Chicago at auction. Mm -hmm. And so people would buy land at the auction place in Chicago at a place called Rapid City in Manitoba mm -hmm. thinking, okay, we'll go there. There's infrastructure, there's whatever. And then we know we have to homestead the land, so we're going to have to do stuff. So they would come all the way from... Chicago, get here, go to Rapid City, look around, see there's not much of anything going on. The piece of land they had had trees and rocks and everything. Yeah. And they would immediately become discouraged. Aww. And so they would turn around and go back to Chicago as fast as they could <laughs> and sell it on the market. But they would talk <gasps> it up. They would, everybody would continue to talk it up. So the prices would go higher and higher. Oh so if you God. got back in time, you could actually sell it at maybe a profit to what you spent on it. Wow. Plus coming out to look at it. 
And so all the people in Rapid City that stayed to homestead were the ones, the last ones to make the trek back to Chicago, but the word was out. So nobody would buy it from them. So they had to come Aww. back and that's what they own now. So they have to come back and work it. So that's why you end up homesteading certain places. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. And some places like in the Yukon, they've become like Kino city because, but it was a tent city. So there'd be 10,000 people. But as soon as the gold rush was over, all, they'd all disappear. So right. Kino city has a population of, I think three or something. Wow. Now, what and a it, big difference. Yeah. So it has a population of three that it's had for the last, however, since the gold rush, but yeah. they keep the name. So some worse city, I don't think rapid city ever was a city even a tent city. It was just somebody gave it that name to try and puff it up on the... Uh, to promote it. Yeah, the, at the auction house. And then they just did the exact same thing to other people when they yeah. got the chance. Yeah. Well, yeah, what would you do? <laughs> oh, I guess we got taken. Well, yeah. let's do what happened to us. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody gets the word, oh, it's all scrub wire. <laughs> I wouldn't go there. And then suddenly the market dries right up. Well, especially if you're used to a city like Chicago, mm -hmm. if you're used to a certain lifestyle, yeah. it would definitely be um, a, sh a bit of a shock, a culture shock. Speaking of culture shock, should we end the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to this week's podcast. Be sure to tune in again next week and also be sure to check out our show antiquarian objects the legend of manitoba on bell mts 5 tv1